listening to We're Talking Drums, creating conversations with the world's top drummers in the most extreme genres. This episode is brought to you by Los Cabos Drumsticks, Canada's number one choice for drumsticks. They provide the wood you need to make the beats you deserve. Los Cabos Drumsticks. Now with your host, Corey Hoffing. Welcome to another episode of We're Talking Drums. Thanks for tuning in again. You know, we we love, uh, you know, when you guys come back and listen to episode after episode of your favorite drummers having talks, you know, with me. I am your host, Corey Hoffing. How are you doing today? You know, I'm doing quite swell. Thanks for asking. Now, if you're new to listen to the podcast, because uh, this week's guest, who is... Uh, Pretty awesome guy. Uh, if he brought you here, if his name tickled your fancy, and he's the reason why you are listening to my voice right now, then, you know, if you love conversations with drummers, then drop us a follow on uh, Spotify, Apple Music, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening, you know. You can uh, follow us on Instagram, at We're Talking Drums, Facebook, dot com backslash we're talking drums and you know what you can go one further if you want to support this podcast we have a patreon page that's right and you know what we're gonna have some special merch drops there some cool new merch which we just we just released some awesome new shirt designs uh which you can follow Links below in the show notes uh, to get your hands on some We're Talking Drums merch. Some badass merch there. We're going to have loads more coming up. Uh, and uh, you get some episodes early as well. So there you go. It's two bucks a month for that Patreon. And we have uh, another special surprise that uh, you might not know about, but uh, we're going live on Twitch, baby. That's right. We're bringing the podcast live right to you. We're hopefully going to be doing this once a week, if not more. All right. So if you want to get in on that action, then just head over to twitch.tv backslash Corey H. Drummer. That's C-O-R-Y. H D R U M M E R. Check that out. Drop a follow. Drop a sub. Everything helps the the podcast, the channel. You know, we're getting into this. You know, we're doing this live, and it's gonna be a great, great, great time. All right. With all that out of the way, I just want to say thank you for tuning in once again. My guest this week. Nick Patterson from Australian metalcore band Northlane. Now, me and Nick kind of got in into this conversation pretty hot. You know, we came in guns of guns of blazing. You know, and I knew right off the bat that this was going to be a phenomenal conversation. Um, and honestly, I had to stop it at one point and just be like, you know, we got we we can't go on forever. You know. We gotta we gotta call it at some point. He was just so insightful of a a drummer to talk to. Uh we 
actually talked a lot about drumming and the thought process and methodical mindset behind uh, being a percussionist and, and a drummer in a metal band and kind of what that entails. Um, we talked about the new North Lane album, Obsidian, which is out on April 22nd. Uh, they got some singles dropped already for that, so make sure you go check those out. Uh, it's their sixth studio album. It's their first album as uh, independent. Uh, no label. It's all them. They're taking control back of the, all their music, and everything. Uh, and it's such a great, uh, great thing that uh, you, I'm seeing more and more musicians do this. And it's so sick. I'm so happy for them. Everything's working out great. They have a Patreon page. You can go be a part of it. Links in the show notes. Um, and lastly, we talked about Limp Biscuit, as always, man. You know, it's uh, John Otto. He's the man. All right. I don't know what else to say about that. Let's get into this one. Here's my conversation with Nick Pedersen from Northlane. Nick Pedersen, welcome to the We're Talking Drums podcast. How are you doing today, man? I'm good, Corey. I'm very good. Very good. It's a rainy day here in Sydney. It's um, been raining for weeks almost. We had a couple days of sun, but now it's back to rain again, which is pretty weird. Oh yeah, global warming is a thing. Um, <laughs> Absolutely, man. <Yeah. laughs> it's funny because I was in Montreal yesterday. Like you're in the future. You're you're in on. It's Thursday there when it's Wednesday here. Yeah, still, right. It's Thursday so, morning here. Yeah, yeah, you guys like uh, you guys have like what fifteen? I think it's fifteen hours difference right now. I'm not so sure, I believe it. Yeah, it's something like that. And it's funny. Yeah, I was right. in Montreal uh, yesterday. Beautiful yeah. sunny day, and then I get back. Uh, I'm originally from Toronto, and everyone's yeah. like, "Oh man, it's such a shit day. Like it was fucking raining all day." I'm like, "Oh fuck, I had a beautiful day at least, you know, <laughs> hanging out in the sun. Like, yeah, it's beautiful." Beautiful, man. Have to go to another city. That's it. It's all That's it takes. It. Oh, man. it was so nice. It, like it was kind of impromptu and everything, but yeah. uh, it was nice. I I don't get to go to Montreal enough. Uh, some of my best friends live there, so it's like nice. Awesome. To, yeah. Nice. Beautiful place too. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, it and especially for metal shows, it's uh, definitely a hot hot spot to hit in Canada. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Band, I've played so. some cool shows in Montreal. And it's also been very cold. I've probably been in the coldest I've ever been when I was in Montreal one time. It was like minus 30 degrees, including wind chill. And I, being, you know, an Aussie, I've never felt that before. No. And it's funny because we, uh, like, in Toronto area and stuff, it's cold. Like, it's Canada regardless, right? Yeah. It's, like, it's not like Edmonton cold. Like, Edmonton is like a whole other beast. And like, a- anywhere on those, like, upper provinces and stuff, Winnipeg, Calgary, like all that. It's just like yep. whole other level of winter, <laughs> you yep. know? But even for us going, like it's like six hours over to Montreal. Yeah. And uh, like, it would just be like drastically colder, like insanely yeah. colder, more snow. I went there in December to record a record and like they had like a foot of snow when we had nothing here, like nothing at what? all. Yeah, I was like, yeah, so so strange. It's not that much further north either. <laughs> not that far at all. Six like, hours is not that far. Yeah, I mean, I guess six hours from Sydney, you end up at like the Snowy Mountains, which is the one area in. Well, there's two. There's two mountains in in New South Wales, which is like the state that I live in. 
mm-hmm. that has snow and that does take six hours to get to. So may, I do understand, but still that's, it's just weird. It's weird. The world is weird. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And global warming is, is a thing. <laughs> like a like thing. you said before. Yeah. It's, it's, it's madness. The, like, the Australian government doesn't think so, but it is a oh, thing. Oh no. No, they're just like <laughs> no. fully like, no, that's not a thing. Just Keep on with your life. It's fine. Keep burning coal. It's fine. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's pretty messed up. Pretty yeah. Messed up. Well, it's pretty funny how, like, I don't know. I heard something like that, how the world kind of shut down for two years. We don't need to get into it because I'm sure, like, every single thing you do, <laughs> every single podcast that <laughs> gets brought up. But, um, and, and how, like, the ozone layer started repairing itself. Even in that short amount of time, you know, that we kind of, like, shut everything down. And then, yeah. you know, you could see the effects, like actually that quickly, that right? quickly. Imagine yeah. if we actually gave a shit for like a decade, how much we could <sighs> like benefit the earth. <laughs> like, yeah, dude, ugh. it would be drastic. It'd be drastic, but yeah, money, money is cool apparently. So yeah, actually I got into <laughs> it with uh, my, my manager today cause he was suggesting all these, uh, see documentaries to me and everything i more yeah. recently uh became a vegetarian and you know nice. and like he 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 isn't or anything but he's like dude this this documentary on the sea and the coral reefs and everything yeah. changed my life he's like the i i was like legitimately upset for a full month because mm. of how all this shit i'm like yeah dude like you know, like it's I. I'm only doing a small part by me doing making the changes I'm making. But imagine if everybody as a collective decided this isn't right. You know yeah. how much power we have to to totally change the do. world. You know. Yeah, I mean, like you know, there's a, I think there's like a <clears throat> there is some there is a wall there which is like the older generation doesn't doesn't want to accept that that can help almost, mm. you know, um, whereas the younger generation seem to be more inclined and a little bit more empathetic to other creatures on the planet. So I think as life goes on, maybe we're going to get there, but it's just sad to think that that's what it's going to take, you know, to let, let some people, um, die off before we can <laughs> get a collective of people who sort of see the similar sort of views. But, yeah. you know, even, yeah. Congrats, by the way, for making that change. A uh, huge thing. I think, you know, it's um, one of those, you know, it's one of those things that you as a human can only make for yourself. You know, mm-hmm. you can only make that change. And if, if you, if you're willing to, and it's a hard change to do, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not vegetarian or vegan. My, my partner is, uh, I try to eat as like a vegetarian. Um, I guess I'm a little bit hypocritical in the sense that like, if I see an animal on my plate, like if I see it, if I know it's an animal, then I can't eat it. But if it's packaged in a way that doesn't look like this, now this, I, I almost hate myself for saying this, but like it's packaged in a way that doesn't make me think about it, then it's, mm-hmm. I can deal with it, you know? And that's, I mean, I feel, you know, I feel like I can pat myself on the back for like recognizing that at least, but... Yeah, I would I, feel a little bit more proud of myself if I could actually commit wholeheartedly. Yeah, man. Well, like for me, I just uh, like I I quit drinking like two years ago, and nice. I quit smoking like close to a year ago. So I'm kind of on this path of just like changing 
everything that I've cleaning always, up. Yeah, and like always, I've always done just certain things. Like I've always ate meat. I've always done that. And I'm like, what if I just don't? What What if I completely yeah. change my diet? Because what you put in your body and everything, you know, becomes like the part of who you are and definitely like, yeah, the, the, how you get your energy is like, you know, kind of makes it how you are within the world. I don't know. To a degree. Yeah. I don't know. I, 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 know. I agree. It's worth a try at least, you know, like right? I know a lot of people have tried and you know, they end up sort of flip flopping between mm-hmm. the two. Other people just completely commit that, you know, they, they, they learn this is way better from for my body and my lifestyle yeah and for the earth so i think there's only good things that come out of it and just being you know there's so many alternatives you don't need you don't need meat oh yeah it's not necessary yeah well fuck we're off to a good start here that guy we are we're going deep already real quick eh? (laughs) jesus christ man all right so you know what this is the we're talking drums podcast uh so let's talk about some drums you're a drummer you're a pretty I'm good a drummer. drummer at that, you know? Thank you. Um, Thank you. <laughs> so uh, how did you get started playing drums? Uh, at what age did you pick up the sticks? And, you know, like, because a lot of guys I find, uh, it's kind of like, oh, well, my dad was a drummer. So when I was like three years old or when I was in diapers, I was playing with him or something, you know? Like, but how... You, you how pretty did much you... it's saying my story, dude. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not, yeah, not, not super early though. Yeah. My dad was a drummer, um, and, or still is a drummer. And he, luckily we had, we had this old Rogers kit. They still got, it's amazing drum kit. This, this 1960s Rogers vintage kit. Um, anyway, we had a kit in the house. I remember dabbling, I don't know, it would have been like six or something. Literally there was a show in Australia called Gladiators. And I mean, I'm sure there's similar shows around the world. It's pretty much like they had like 10 or 20 like gladiator heroes and they're all like, you know, jacked up dudes or strong, strong people, um, females and males. And then contestants would like join the show and they'd have to take on the gladiators kind of thing. And they'd they'd do different challenges. Anyway, there was like a gladiators greatest hits, which had like all the (laughs) the gladiators favorite songs on this CD. And I remember this is the first CD that I jammed to. Um, and it was just a collection of random songs and it was just such a random city. Anyway, when I was in year three or in Australia, when you're in year three, you, uh, I'm pretty sure this is a nationwide thing that you get the opportunity to join the school band. Um, so you go to like an orientation day where they have like all the instruments there and you can go and try all the instruments and see what you like pretty much. I was going in with the intention that I wanted to play guitar some reason I want, I want to play guitar at that age. This was like six or seven go in there and they're like, there's no guitar in the school band. So I was like, Oh, okay, well I got a drum kit at home, so I'll just do the drums then. And that's just kind of how it started. Um, just doing school band stuff, learning from there. I think at the time, if I'm brutally honest, probably like the first four or five years, like I didn't really care that much about it. Mm. I was just doing it in school band. I didn't have like a favorite band or anything, right? Yeah, you're still um, like I didn't figuring have style out like, music. Yeah, you're still figuring yeah, out. Your yeah, yeah, I'm and, still figuring it out. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't until like year six or seven, till until I heard like Limp Bizkit 
and Lincoln Park um, and System of Down, Blink-182 and stuff. That's that's when I, well, especially Limp Bizkit. When I first heard Limp Bizkit, I remember being at my friend's house and his older brother was cranking Limp Bizkit in the room next door and we were both like, whoa, what is this? This is so cool. <laughs> you know, we both thought he was really cool, his older brother. Anyway, yeah. Um, and that was, that was what really sort of kick-started me into like, getting right into drumming. Um, you know, as soon as I found like a band that I liked or like something that I was like, I want to learn these drums. That, that mm-hmm. was um, obviously the inspiration that I needed to sort of really get me going um, on the instrument. And, you know, obviously those first couple of years in school band really helps because I learned a lot. I had to play a lot of different styles. I learned a lot of, uh, you know, how to read, uh, how to play in front of people and stuff. So I owe, even though those first couple of years, I really didn't like it. It wasn't like I was frothing on drums at that point. Mm-hmm. I still look back and owe it to those years because it sort of was the foundation of my playing. And I ended up staying in school band for like my whole, you know, high school life as well. Um, doing like stage band, it was, it was kind of like jazz band, um, the school band, the musicals as well. And, doing all the variations. And then obviously later in high school, I started my own band, which was like a metalcore kind of band. Um, So like as soon as you started playing in bands and stuff, it was like this style, like you had kind of already formed like, you know, what you kind of wanted to play and. 100%. 100%. Yeah. I already knew what I wanted, I had friends who were also just like frothing on the same style of music. So mm-hmm. it was so easy for us to just start writing music in that sort of vein. I taught myself how to do double pedal as well because I ended up getting, well, my parents bought me my own Ludwig drum kit, um, randomly enough. Well, my dad was always like showing me like Buddy Rich and Gene Cripper and stuff when I was a kid. So he was very much into that era of drumming. So, yeah, the Rogers kit and the Ludwig kit is like very vintage, you know, brands. They fit into that. Anyway, I ended up putting both bass drums together, you know, the Rogers and the Ludwig. I don't know if anyone's done that before. Oh, yeah. No, Uh, like vintage kits. Not with vintage kits, but uh, (laughs) at my place we had a uh, like a $300 sonar kit and we mix yeah. it with a Yamaha like stage custom. Yeah, and they're like completely different tones and oh, stuff. Yeah, completely. Yeah, yeah, hundred yeah. percent. And that was before <laughs> so like funny. started triggering and everything too, right? So this is like, wow, you were triggering then? No, no, it was before, before. Oh, so before, like, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you were actually trying to use the tone of the drum. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's not a horror. Yes. But we had like yeah. four do, rack do, toms do, 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 and, do, 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 Like completely different oh, yeah. tones and yeah. bass drums. It's hilarious. It but it was fun, man. I love I love I still use two singles. Like I hate a double. Oh yeah, double. with two with two bass drums. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a kit that has so, okay. two twenty twos and then I have Oof. one that's two twenties. Which I've had the the two twenties for a long time and I, I love them. I love twenty inch kick drums. Twenties are lovely, yeah. I I had for uh, I don't know, a bunch of years I used 20-inch kick. I really, I really liked it. And then yeah. I went to 22 and I just, for my sort of style and unlike miking live, the 22 is a little bit better. Yeah. You get a little bit more low end for the live sort of environment. But still, I love the 22. So punchy. 
Yeah. Ah, uh, sorry, the twenty. I love the twenty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, the twenty. Like, uh, I trigger my kick anyone. I'm playing metal, anyways. I tr- trigger yeah. my kick, and uh, but whenever I'm playing like other like more rock style stuff, a twenty-two hundred percent. Like, I'll go with yeah. the twenty-two just because you get. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a beefier tone, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. whenever totally, you're actually totally. miking it, like, yeah. Yes, 100%. exactly. Rather than triggering for sure. Yeah. So for did sure. that that. Uh, small era when you weren't like necessarily too into drums necessarily, but you're still playing. And then you mentioned that you were, uh, playing live. So it kind of like got you some experience in like the stage band and, and everything like that before you actually like started your own venture into your own, uh, style of music. So by the time Mm -hmm. you got to your first actual band, when you got up on stage, like I, I assume that you weren't, uh, you didn't uh, have any nerves or anything. You're so used to playing in front of people, right? Yeah. So this is um, something that I'm really grateful for, you know, like mm-hmm. now I look back and think, damn, like I, I got a lot of experience in, and I wasn't even really aware that that was happening at the time. Obviously I was just doing it, you know, school yeah. band with all your mates or whatnot. Well, exactly. And you have yeah. so many people with you is up there with you, right? It's not the same. Yeah, yeah, as like totally. It's like just doing a 20, 30 people. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So it's a little yeah. bit, a little bit easier to sort of just walk on a stage with that many people. Right. But yeah, no, totally. By the time I started playing live with, with my own bands. I was very comfortable in that scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was also like, I was also really comfortable in the kit as well. So I felt I had a lot of experience under my belt before I even started playing live gigs in like the metal metal realm. And yeah, like I said, like that, I still owe it to that because I, yeah, I gained so much experience before I really recognized that I was doing so. So um, super grateful. Like, like there was so many times when I was a kid that I actually just wanted to leave the school band because I was like, this is so boring. I don't like, I don't like these songs. And my, my mom was instrumental in being like, no, stay there. You know, it's good for whatever reason. She, she, she would always encourage me to stay. Mm-hmm. Um, so I appreciate the fact she did that because I could have, if it wasn't for her, I would have been like, screw this. I'm gone. Yeah. So whoop, your word cams dropped. So it's back. Cool. Yeah. We're, we're good now. We're good. Cool. 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 Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, man. And it's funny cause when we're kids and stuff, our, uh, attention span can be so short and we don't really know what is going to be good for us in the end. Like you never know. You can't mm-hmm. jump into the future and find out like, Oh yeah. Like years later, you'll be, you know, a successful, accomplished drummer in a (laughs) fucking killer ass band touring the world. Like you would have never known that. Oh, if I had have known that back then, I wouldn't have believed my, you know, if you had told me that, if you Mm -hmm. would go back in time and go to to speak to young Nick and be like, yo, this is going to be your life. I would be like, shut up, dude. No way. Yeah. Wouldn't believe it at all. Yeah. But yeah, no, like I have, because I teach when I'm not touring and, it's one thing with the younger students that are still at school. It's I, I am now encouraging them to stay in the school band, even if they're like, it's so boring, you know, like I just play the snare drum and I'm not, you know, it's not what I want to do. I tell them, you know, it's, I felt the same way when I was your age, you know, but it's really important to stick it, stick it out because you learn things that you, you just don't, you know, you won't, you won't realize you're learning until years later. Um, and you, yeah, you'll gain a lot of experience that you just wouldn't otherwise, like you won't, you won't get that sort of opportunity to, to play in front of people or, 
you know, being in a, an environment where you have to play your role and play in time or like play soft enough and stuff, you know, there's all these elements that you sort of learn in that environment that you just you wouldn't otherwise. So it just doesn't mean that like you, everyone needs to go to the school band to be a, a wicked musician or whatever, but yeah. I just think that it does, it does have its advantages for sure. And if you have the opportunity, why not use it? Because a lot of yeah. people might not have that opportunity to do so. 100%. Right? Yeah. Like even 100%. Uh, with myself, uh, yeah, like I, I, I didn't, I don't think I played in a school band necessarily. We had to take music class and had to play an instrument. But yeah. um, I don't even, for some reason, I don't even think snare drum was like a, a part of that for some reason. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I played trumpet. In that, cool. and then when we got to high school, I was a guitar player all through, pretty yep. much all through high school. So, like, I took classical guitar and stuff like that, but it was all guitar focused stuff. Yep. And it wasn't until just after high school that I started playing drums. And I was like, ah, oh, shit, I should have been doing this the whole time, <laughs> right? Because mm. like all all of my favorite and like sickest drummers that I know all kind of like played snare drum all through school and everything and that's how they built their chops and then when they got on the kit it was like okay hands are good we just need to make all this kind of like work together and we'll be we'll be all set right but yeah yeah i've been struggling for like the last 15 years just to get my hands to a place where i'm happy with it you know because i didn't i never uh like put it like had that um time to just sit and and do like roles in time and stuff like that right like i always yeah. just wanted to jam you know in my younger years or like mm-hmm. practice my double kick because i wanted to be have fast feet man yep. that's where yep. it's at right so <laughs> yeah man so yeah i guess this is a that's a common thing as well especially in, in teaching you know i think um personally when i'm teaching you know there's a lot of people Obviously, I would attract people in metal, right? A lot of most of the students are, are people who are, you know, know North Lane, like North Lane, or they're in metal bands themselves. And, you know, um, I do see a lot of, you know, young drummers just starting drums and they're having a double pedal straight away, always like, and that a bit of a red flag. Um, just because <laughs> yeah, you end up getting me. a little that bit too me. reliant on the, the double pedals. But, you know, um, and for me personally, like, I think there's, there's like a, there's a stylistic difference. It's pretty much about doing doubles, right? As soon as someone has a double pedal on all, every time there's a double on the feet, they use two feet and they don't actually hone like doing doubles with your right foot or your, your, your main foot. Yeah. Um, because I think these days, like I look at that, so this is random tangent when I'm going there. Um, I look oh, at man. that exact thing <laughs> and think like, obviously it's a tempo thing. Like if I'm going at a tempo where I can't nail two kicks with one foot or I just want them to be really solid, um, then I'll use two kicks. But if it's at a tempo where I'm comfortable to doing it with just single kick, then I'm looking at it from a velocity perspective. Like do I want these kicks to slam or do I want a little bit of um, sort of feel in my kicks? Because obviously if I do it with a single foot, the first kick's going to be slightly softer than the second one. So there's a little bit of like dynamic 
um, qualities to it, which make it sort of roll a bit more. Like if I'm playing a groove section, I definitely will just try and do it with my right foot because it's going to have the velocity differences, which is going to create that sort of rolling feel a little bit more rather than just like 127 velocity slamming out your kicks, which is also cool. You know, I just like to see it as like what section, what does the section need, you know? So, um, yeah, when I see people sort of starting on double pedal, I'm like, well, let's try and get that. Let's just not do the left foot for a while. Yeah. Get that right foot going so we're comfortable. Yeah, you just take off the crossbar, just remove the the slave pedal, (laughs) throw it off to the side. Like, nope, we don't need that yet. (laughs) You don't need that for a couple of weeks. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, honestly, that um that kind of brings up something. I I had a couple questions from the audience. I was gonna just like ask at the end, but honestly, since we're here, Mm uh listener daniel mills uh was kind of asking if uh there's anything that you ever had to relearn change your technique because he is he hasn't played double kick for a while and he got really good at using his right foot and like a heel toe doubles right Mm -hmm. but now he's having to relearn uh, double pedal with, and use mm-hmm. his left foot. So, yeah, um, like that. He's he's struggling with that, and I guess he's wondering if you ever had any situations like that that you didn't use a technique for a long time, and then you came into a situation you're like, oh shit, like <laughs> I need to rebuild this muscle or skill or something like that. Yeah, you know? interesting. You say this um, because. In the new record, Obsidian, that's about to drop in a couple of weeks, Northland record, um, I had to do a blast beat. We wrote a blast beat for it, which is something that I haven't done since 2012 or something. You know, early day in Northlands, there's a couple, Northland records, there's a couple of blast beats in there. And then we kind of steered away from it. I'm not really a blast beater, I wouldn't say. <laughs> I'm, I'm competent at it whatsoever. Um, anyway, this song's like 250 or 255 BPM and there's a blast beat in it that isn't that long. Um, but I was like, shit, all right, I've got to work on my blast beats again because this is, this is at a tempo that's, I will address by the way, what, um, what the question was in, in, you know, in, in relation to what they were saying as well. But personally, yes, I have, I've been in this scenario where I haven't done something for a long time, had to relearn it in this instance was blast beats. So yeah, I spent a long time doing, well, if I'm honest, there was actually two blast beats in this song. Um, I'm just going to go there. I'm going to be open and honest, throw myself under the bus. Um, because there was two blast beats, one's at the end of this song and one's in the, one was in the middle. The one that was in the middle was twice as long as the one at the end. And I was like, all right, here we go. So I spent probably a month or two, getting back into learning how to blast beat and trying to push my tempo. So start really slow. Um, and then, you know, slowly, gradually over, over, a couple, you know, over days and days, I sort of speed up my tempos. Um, obviously I'm trying to keep my technique in mind. I don't want to be, mm-hmm. I want to be in control while I'm doing this right. I don't, I don't want to, I want to do it easily. I want it to have, solid velocities for the whole phrase. Anyway, so I was very um, pedantic about the way I sort of practiced it and I knew it was going to take a lot of time, so I was very patient at my approach. Um, 
pretty much what I do in that scenario. And this is, this is what I would do if I'm learning anything that's fast or like anything that I can't play to tempo yet. Um, I will start off, you know, hundred BPM and I'll play the phrase, um, for a minute or two. And then once that's done, I'll crank up the, 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 the click to another five BPM. So, you know, subtle, subtle difference. You don't really notice a five BPM change in this scenario. Go over it again for a couple of minutes. And then I still, I just make my way up five BPM increments. And then I, I'll get to a point where I start to struggle. Uh, I start to like lose control of my technique or I start to stutter throughout re- repeating this, this uh, phrase. And that's when I know I've hit my peak. I know, okay, cool. I can't do this tempo solidly today. So I write down that tempo on a piece of paper. Always have a notepad, always keep making notes of my, of my progress. Um, the next day you'll tr- I'll try it again. Um, and I guarantee if you do this, if anyone does this, the next day you get to that BPM that you got to last the, the day before that you struggle that I guarantee you'll probably be able to go five BPM faster than that. Um, just from having a good sleep, there's like study done on this. I saw a, I saw a documentary. I have to say this because it's really cool. Um, sorry, documentary on sleep. And they were talking about, they were doing studies on, um, on these rats and the rats were in a maze and they had like a little brain scanner on the, on the rat the rat would do the maze throughout the day. It would end up memorizing the maze, right? So it would be like in its head, they could, they could see as well with this little um, brain scanner thing it had, this little hat on, they would see if it, when it turned left, it would light up a certain part in the, in the rat's brain. If it turned right, it would light up another side. It memorized this pattern or whatever it was, you know, left, left, right, left, right, right. That was the pattern. They would see these, these areas um, sort of lighting up as the, as the rat was doing this. But what they noticed while the rat was sleeping is that it was firing through this sequence three to four times faster while it was sleeping. Left, right, 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 left, left, whatever it was. And it was like rehearsing this, right? The brain was, it, it was going over this. So the next day it was faster at doing the, the maze and it just gradually got better and better at doing it. And they just monitored throughout the night and they would see that the brain was triggering the same sequence that the, the maze was. So it pretty much proves that like, as you sleep, your brain's sort of going over what you're doing in that day. Um, anyway, so I totally lean into this when it comes to practicing. I know I trust that practicing is going to take time if I'm going to try and push for something and I have to trust that um, it's not going to be, I can't do it in an hour. I can't do it in a day. This is going to take a week or two weeks or something or three weeks. Patience is, is a virtue in this scenario. Anyway, back to the story of learning how to blast food again, trying to get it to 250 or 255 or whatever it was. I ended up doing this for a couple of months and I got to about 145 and found that I couldn't really get to the 150, 155 mark comfortably. I could do it for about two bars and then I sort of fell apart. So in terms of, um, and I say fall apart, I mean like my velocity start to drop and I start to lose a bit of control, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up having to admit defeat on the long blast beat. I remember having to call John and being like, I can't do it. Um, and oh. this was after a long phase of practice and just coming. And my, my partner, 
Tanya was always encouraging me, no, you can do it, get on it. Because uh, there was a couple of days where I was like, I just don't think I can actually get there like comfortably and I, that this is what this worries me because like I don't want to record something. Like I can record it or whatever and, or botch it or whatever, but I don't want to do that because I want to know that like every, if I'm, we're playing a song live, I want to be able to nail it every single night. Um, and at this point, I just don't think that's realistic. I can nail it for two bars like we do at the end, but the long one just what was a little bit unrealistic. So yeah, I ended up speaking to John and being like, we have to change this part, which was fine. We ended up coming up with something really cool instead. And we still have the blast bit at the end that I could, that I can do, but it was interesting sort of process. And I think it's, I think it's worth talking about because I think, you know, just from teaching myself, I do see a lot of people get sort of hung up on, on learning something. They've written something they really want and they really want it to be a part of their song, but it's just a little bit too out of reach. And a lot of the time, People don't want to admit defeat. They want to like try and crush it, which is cool. And I and I and I always suggest like try and you know, if there's something you want to achieve, try and achieve it. But I also think that sometimes it's better to play the safe card in these scenarios and figure out another thing you can do that you know you can nail every time you play. It might still you know do the same thing as the blast beat does in terms of like what the song needs. It obviously needs to push through that 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 section. So there's other ways to do that. Um, but obviously you've just got to get past your own ego. Yeah. Right. That is right. definitely a thing, man. Um, yeah. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> that's, that's really crazy that you actually like kind of admitted defeat on the whole, the mm-hmm. whole part. You're like, no, I can't. you know what? I can't. And dude, uh, 250 is fucking fast, man. Fucking fast, bro. <laughs> that's fast to do that, yeah. to do 16th notes. It's pretty uh, fast, man. So, um, yeah, and I, you know, I bowed out gracefully. It wasn't yep. something that, like, I was totally like. Obviously, I was a little bit butthurt, a little bit. My ego's a little bit bruised, but mm-hmm. I can also recognize. And you know, this is based off experience. Maybe when I was younger, this I wouldn't have had this approach and be like, "No way, I'm doing it. This is cool. This is gonna, this is yeah, you know, it's gonna, gonna be, be so legit. Sick. People are gonna think I can blast me <laughs> when I can't." Um, no, nah, but these days I'm, yeah, I can sort of look a little bit further in the future. think about, okay, if I'm playing this song every night, because I've done this in the past where I've had, I've written parts that are like really hard, but are cool yeah. and I want them. But then you start playing them every night and you might make a mistake on it or what you might be a fill or a section, whatever it is. And what ends up happening is you end up get, getting in like creating like this speed bump in the set, right? Where before you even get it or you're about to start this song and bang, you straight away think, oh, this is the song with the blast beat. Like, oh, no, oh, this is the song with that crazy feel uh, or whatever. And then you end up getting, you know, pre, you know, thinking about this this one one little minuscule thing as you're sort of playing the song and then you get to it and you probably race it or you make it, you know, you sort of fuck it up because you're putting way too much pressure on it. You're overthinking the whole scenario and then you sort of let yourself down you know, you kind of like, oh, fuck, you know, screwed up that feel again. Or maybe someone in your band turns around, looks at you, and is like, oh, you dickhead, you fucked that feel up again, or whatever. And then the rest of the set, you feel like shit. And then the next time you play it, it's even worse again. You know, that you sort of create this perpetual sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So these days, I'm trying to avoid that as much as possible. As soon as there's something. Like if I'm, you know, we're writing for a record and there's a section where I'm like, oh, I can do it, but I can't do it comfortably. Like the comfortability is the most important thing. Um, it ha- I have to be confident playing playing what I'm playing because um, it changes the way that it sounds. Like a confident player is, is a completely different player to someone who's not confident. Um, 
and so yeah, now I'm I'm thinking, okay, let's, this 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 is a bit of a red flag. Let's rewrite this. I still want to, you know, I still want it to have a similar feeling, but I can definitely rewrite this to make this feel easier to play. Maybe I just need to make it a linear feel. Um, so I'm breaking up the hands because it's so fast. I don't want to do single strokes or whatever. You know, like mm-hmm. I think there's always other options that when you're writing, you can sort of sway into. And I think these, you know, this, you just got to break that ego, man. And like, like, unfortunately it's so in control when it comes to this, like metal drums I've noticed is like, everyone wants to flex and that's cool. And I've flexed and I've tried to prove myself as well. But like, I think there's a point where you need to go like, what does the song need? Does it need this? Like, um, is it making the song any better? Is it, or is it just making, you know, how I feel about it better or, or, you know, um, and, or is, you know, is the listener even, even going to know that I'm doing this insane, polyrhythmic linear fill, you know, or is it just, you know, is it 10% of people going to respect that? And like, could I just do this fill in a different way that makes me, makes me confident in playing it. And then when I play it every night on tour, I absolutely slay it opposed to the fill that I thought was cool, but I actually stumble across every time I get there, you know? Yeah. Well, that's a big thing for me. I think in metal too, the biggest part of it is that, a lot of the listeners are also musicians. So when we're writing parts, we're writing it thinking that everybody listening to it is going to hear every little nuance and every aspect about it. And like, if you don't pull something crazy out that nobody's going to give a shit about your performance. Mm, Yeah. You know, yeah, you can't, yeah. You know, you want to do totally a part of it. Yeah. You want to do something crazy because you, you expect that everybody listening is going to pick up on what you're doing and be yes. there it's going to blow their mind, you know, yeah. or like inspire yeah, I, them to do crazy ass shit on their albums or something. Right. Yeah. But, yeah, you know. totally. Yeah. But getting back to what you're talking about in the set, um, yeah, you, as soon as you write something that is that crazy and then say like, Oh, well actually this is a great song to open with. Right, mm-hmm. the, the band decides like th- this is going to be our opener, and you're like, "Fuck!" Uh, right, <laughs> and then yeah, so you're going into the set nervous because that first song is going to be a fucking pain in the ass, and then if you fuck yeah. that up, the rest of the set sucks. Like you're done. Yeah, you're checked yeah. out. You're like 100%. not having any fun, and then you have to do that night after night, mm-hmm. <laughs> and dude, yeah. that's that's torture that's putting yourself through hell so yeah it's yeah and not not only that though but you might even be the one being like oh no i don't want that in the set and pushing the rest of the band be like no let's not play that live so now Mm -hmm. all because you wrote something that you can't play or you're not comfortable playing necessarily right so that is a big thing and i listened to the new record um it it was really kind of apparent to me that you your approach to writing this album was really to serve the songs the best they can be. Like there, not like the drumming on it is to me like, extremely tasteful uh, for the Thank parts, you. right? And it, I definitely got the impression that you weren't there to showboat or anything like that. And every uh, but when you that. do get the chance 
to uh, do something. It was, it, again, like extremely tasteful for the part. Like all your fills and everything just made the song flow. It was like everything was one cohesive unit rather than like, oh, there's a drummer fucking jerking off again. And then, you know, this, that, the other thing. Like the, the album really felt like it was one like almost like blob of you know like everything was like consistently together which was oh really dude cool. you made my day thank you for saying that <laughs> i i'm so glad that you picked up on that because 100 dude like mm-hmm. yeah that that was a massive focus of ours to to make sure that everything was cohesive and 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 supported one another it yeah. wasn't it wasn't about the spotlight at all right um, there, like you said, there are moments where I was like, all right, here I can, this is my little pocket where I can do something and I will do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's more about picking your moments, picking your battles, right? Like these days I don't, I know I'm aware that the band, you know, it's not about me. It's not, it, you know, there's, there's other dudes in the band and it's not about like early, early days in North Lane, like I was trying my best to, to make the drums as impressive as possible, really. Mm-hmm. And I guess um, earlier sort of North Lane also, the, it just, it kind of revolved around the drums a little bit. Like the drums had a lot of room to do, do, do what they wanted. Yeah. There's a big just, like uh, rhythmic aspect to the band. Yes. Right. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. Totally. So um, it was, and you know, we were younger as well. So we're more inclined to flex a little bit more, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely this record, it was, it was more about doing what, what the record needs. Um, you know, finding, picking your moments, um, otherwise playing your role, you know, playing your role. You're a drummer in the band, you play that role, you nail that role, um, and then you just literally reinforce the rest of the band. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny because, um, like, we just, you know, the last single we, we released was a song called Carbonized, and... I found it really interesting because like that song, you know, it's a heavier song, groovy song. The drum beat is very similar for the whole song. There's, there's slight changes in it, whether it be ghost notes or like accented snare placements or whatnot, mm-hmm. or like there's a fill and the fill just slightly changes throughout the song. It's based off the same thing each time, but it slightly adds like another tom or sort of moves where the tom places. Anyway, um, more about subtleties, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I always, I kind of ever think like, obviously, I think a lot of, like you said, you know, a lot of metal musicians, of uh, 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 metal fans are musicians themselves. So um, obviously I'm aware that some people are going to be like, what, you know, North I never used to write a, you know, have the same drum beat throughout the whole song or whatnot. Um, and that's fine. And, and, you know, that they're right. But what I've noticed is that a lot of people are covering that song on the drums a lot more than any other song, like as it's been released, I've seen a lot like, and straight away within hours, people are covering it. And obviously it's, it's allowing, I think, you know, sort of younger drummers to attempt an Northlane song or like attempt a song that has ghost notes, which they might not have tried before or whatnot. Um, and I found that really interesting that it's sort of, since it is on it, you know, now there are intricacies throughout the song that you know maybe not all of these covers have have sort of landed on, but like you know the core idea, you know everyone's sort of nailing. 
Um, so I think that's really interesting that, you know, it's cool because like, I can't help but look back at me when I was younger and I heard Limp Bizkit for the first time and I'm like, I need to learn this song, you know, and I could, you know, this basic structure, I couldn't get all the ghost notes and all like the flair that was going on, but I could learn the, the, you know, the outline of the beat and play along and really enjoy that. And I think that shaped who I am. So I'm actually really stoked to see that a lot of people are attempting the song and, you know, all levels of drummers. Because I do, you know, I have students that come up and say, like, I want to learn this song or that song. And I'm, I'm kind of like, it's kind of really advanced and, you, you know, you're not quite there yet. Um, so this could just be more of a roadblock than it is like a, um, a beneficial sort of thing to do for you. Whereas, you know, this song is carbonized as a little bit more <laughs> user-friendly, I guess, for drummers. Um, and I found that, yeah, I've been really stoked on that because initially I just didn't think that that would happen. I didn't even think about that at all. Yeah. Um, so that's cool. You know, I find that really cool. It's cool, especially because like you guys are uh, like a very well-known band. You're kind of like in the spotlight, especially when it comes to metal bands and everything like that. So you kind of do influence the next generation of metalheads and in turn musicians you know, who will be in metal and stuff. So having a song like that, um, that people can at like kind of all skill levels kind of pick up relatively quickly. Yeah. It can really like, uh, influence a a younger drummer to either like pick up the sticks in the first place or kind of push them kind of into, uh, a heavier genre. Right. And be like, oh, wow, I can play this. And then it's like, okay, maybe I can play, you know, this song that's maybe a little tougher. And then kind of, you know, guide them in that direction, right? So I think that's super cool, man. Like, Yeah. The older I get, the more I care about kind of influencing the the newer generation to to be playing drums. Hard out, dude. Yeah. Because like... Sorry, no, interrupt. no, go ahead, um, go ahead, man. No, because like I just feel like because personally, like I was inspired by um, there was like three drummers early on in my life that like totally shaped who I am as a drummer these days, and those were John Otto from The Biscuit, um, Steve Judd from Carnival, Australian prog band, amazing drummer, and Brandon Morgan from Misery Signals, oh, one of your local sure. bands, yeah. Um, those three drummers completely inspired me to go down the avenue, which I have. Um, so, and it's kind of uncanny that I find myself in a scenario, you know, where I'm now the one who sort of can be, you know, passing on the torch, so to say. Mm-hmm. And that makes me so happy. Like that's, I am so grateful to be there because like, I don't do this for money, you know. I do this because I love music. I am so passionate about it. And the idea that I can be what someone else was for me literally just charges me. Like it makes me, I feel so proud to be in that position Mm -hmm. Um, and just grateful, you know, because like that, those people, like I said, those people shaped me. And if I can help someone else like have that, have that fire in their belly, then God, I've done something right on this planet, you know, with my life. It feels very 
heartwarming for me. <laughs> Absolutely. That's, that's great to hear too, man. Cause a lot of mm. people would be like, Oh yeah. Like not really care or anything like that. But I honestly, I feel like that is like a, a big, big so part of dude. why, why you even are, would continue to do this as well too. Right. Yeah. Like, oh, totally. Dude, that's yeah. become like uh, somewhat the inspiration to, to, to continue, you know, like not that I, not that I'm, you know, falling off at any, you know, at, at any <laughs> sense, but, um, it is now something that I do sort of lean into and sort of focus on in terms of like what, you know, what is my inspiration now? Because like back then my inspiration was like, I want to be these dudes. And now I've, you know, I'm kind of in a, in that scenario where I was like wanted to be, it's kind of like, okay, what can I do with it now? You know, now that I'm here somehow, I'm super lucky to be in this scenario. Where can I take it? You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, all right, let's get into this new record. Uh, it's out okay. April 22nd. We've talked about mm-hmm. it a little bit. Uh, Obsidian, new album. I I was super impressed on first listen. It it was production-wise, by far, I like. I put it on, I was listening to it, I was like, I can't hear anything wrong with this. Like, this is, this is a damn near perfect sounding record, you Yo. know, like it sounds absolutely <laughs> incredible. Um, and all your previous stuff sounded great as well, but it was like, I, I listened to it back to back to some of the other records. I was like, holy shit, this thing is like fucking on this pedestal. <laughs> <laughs> like, dude, it sounds incredible. Um, I yes, was, I'm glad yeah, you yeah. Oh dude, like everything about it was great. Um, how was the writing process for this? Because you guys released uh, Alien in 2019, right? Mm-hmm. So you were able to tour that a little bit uh, before you know the world shut down and everything. And I've, mm-hmm. I've found a lot of bands have waited to do anything um, or like holding on to stuff when you guys are like, no, okay, this is like just over two years later, you know, pretty standard album cycle, like as if mm-hmm. nothing happened. And then you're just like, okay, back another record. So like <laughs> when everything kind of shit hit the fan, did you guys just be like, all right, we're going to write a new record now um, and just went right into it? Because I know that in Australia, things have not been so great. Like it's not like in the United yeah. States, like your lockdowns have been absolutely insane. Uh, mm-hmm. ca- up here in Canada too, it, it hasn't been awesome to say the least. Um, yeah. But like how was this writing process any different than the other records or like, um, well, we've kind of, as, as we've done each record, we obviously learn more about our sort of approach when it comes to Mm-hmm. records and um we've learned a lot over the time each time we we do a record we 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 take something from the previous that we've learned um and we implement it and we we go okay how can we make this better or easier or um yeah so we, we just want to level up pretty much every time <clears throat> and use our experience to our advantage so this time in terms of like the time frame of writing records, like it, it kind of was very natural for us. It just worked. It actually worked in our favor. The fact that we had all this time up our sleeves. Um, Cause when the pandemic hit, we, we just finished like the site, the, like the world tour of alien. We just finished that. Yeah. So it was like kind of ideal timing for this to come in. Not, I, I'm not going to say that. Take that back. It's not ideal, but <laughs> in terms of like, you know, we just got that in, we've got that world tour in. And now it's like, okay, 
forced time off. What are we going to do with it? Well, we had a bunch of stuff up our sleeves, which was like all these um, EPs that we released, the acoustic one, the remix one. And then we also had the live at the roundhouse, um, which was the live um, show that we, that we did that's now on YouTube. Uh, so we had some stuff up our, up our sleeve, which was, which was very lucky, with, you know, that we had all of this content that we could use to our advantage um, during a period of not being able to play shows. And then obviously we were like, all right, cool, we'll just focus on writing at this point. So we had more time than ever to write. And that's been a big thing for us that we've learned in the past is that we haven't given ourselves enough downtime to sort of really hone into the writing and, and get it um, to a spot where we're super comfortable with it. Usually we, you know, we have some time to write and then we have the tour and then we might go into the studio off the back of touring and you don't have enough time to learn songs that way and or you don't have enough time to really just write the songs or, get, you know, to get them to a point. You kind of have to flesh them out in the studio a little bit. So this time around we were, you know, we were blessed with, with this, this time frame of like, you know, we've got months up our sleeve here. Let's just go and get into this. So John did his thing. He sort of locked himself away and he's obviously like the main writer of, of Northlane. He fleshes out the songs and then he sort of sends them um, to Marcus and I, and then I sort of listen to what he's trying to do with the drums and I'll, I'll just take it from there kind of the easiest sort of way for me to describe it is he kind of like bakes the cake and then I put on the icing and the candles and the sprinkles and whatnot. Um, and since he's not, since he's not a drummer and he's just writing drums from how he thinks they should sound or programming drums, Mm -hmm. he comes up with like a lot of really interesting stuff that a drummer just wouldn't come up with. Because uh, he doesn't have the boundaries that a drummer would have, or like I'm very much a theoretical drummer. Like you know, I I grew up reading music and 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 learning rudiments and stuff and all that shit. So um, I have these boundaries that have been set in place because of music theory. You know, like yeah. this is right, this is wrong, or whatever. Which is crazy to think about because that shouldn't be a thing at all. And being experienced, uh, exposed to someone who doesn't have these boundaries and they just come up with this thing. They're like, oh, yeah, this sounds cool. I'll just whack this snare here and that, okay, whatever. You know, it's blah's day. And I'm like, what the fuck, dude? Like <laughs> coming up with some wild stuff I would never come up with. So, um, and obviously there's an element of like my own ego, which I have to let go of, which is like, I want to ride all these drums. You know, when I first was in the band, like yeah. that was that was a big thing where I was like, I want to be in control. But then I kind of came to understand that like, but when both John and I work on the drums, we come up with something like truly unique, like something really, really unique. And um, I couldn't, these drum parts wouldn't be the what they are without John. So, um, yeah, obviously I can, I turn them into reality. I, I turn them into like playable drums. Everything has to be clean. Everything has to be smooth. Like it has to flow. I have to be confident playing it. Like these are, these are massive things to me that, and they, that, that overrules any sort of like flex at all. Um, the first thing these days, and this is this is just based off of learning because, like I said, when I was younger, this wasn't my main focus, but these days it is. Um, but in terms of you know writing for Obsidian, we we had heaps of time to do so. So yeah, John would send me stuff. I would sit on the kit, and I, initially I, I write out all the drums. Like I write out what John sends me. So like the skeleton idea, I like to see it. I like to use metaphors visual metaphors. So in terms of like painting and painting, right. Um, he'll send, I'll write, I'll, I'll write out like the outlines of the, of the painting. 
So basic, basic beats, basic fills. And I'll learn that. Um, I'll learn how to play that. I'll turn that into muscle memory, right? So I'm learning like the most basic version of the song, turning into muscle memory. I'm doing this so I can allow for some, um, for, I'm doing this so that once I'm comfortable and I'm like, okay, stage two, which is like, let's try and put some candles and sprinkles. Let's add some color to this picture, right? Yeah. Add some fills, ghost notes, symbols, accents. Um, but at this point, like the, the, the basic beat, like the, the, the baseline beat is already set in stone in, in my muscle memory. So I'm confident in playing this. I can play this beat. And now it's more thinking about like, where do these accents land? Where are these guitars hitting? Where's the synths hitting? What can I reinforce? Um, you know, John's written this fill. It's crazy. It's, it's a crazy guitarist fill. How can I, how can I take the vibe of what he's doing and, and then, and then build it on my kit. So it still achieves the same idea as what he's going for, but I can play it with ease. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, those are the kind, that's where I sort of take it. And then, Obviously, I'm trying to I'm trying to get it to a point where I can play through the song one take. Obviously, this this might take some time as well. I use um, the Yamaha EAD app, which is really cool. It's called Rec and Share because you can like load your songs into it, and then you can slow this. I'm not sponsored by them at all. This is just <laughs> yeah. random plug. Um, you can slow the songs down, and it doesn't detune the songs at all. So you can like slow them down to whatever tempo, and still play along to the song, and it's not like warping the audio at all. Oh, so nice. I find that really helpful, mm -hmm. really, really helpful. Yeah, anyway, we'll and then I'll get to the point where I like record myself playing. I'll send them back to John, so he can also take the audio and put it over his session to go like, okay, yeah, this is cool. Or there might be some areas that rub the wrong way, and he's like, okay, this little bit. Maybe not, don't do this, maybe do that. And he'll give me some guidance or he'll just be like, that's mad or yeah. So then we sort of go back and forth once I've got it to this sort of final stage. Um, yeah. And then I guess it's, you know, just getting the songs down. What's, what's like the, you know, the final stage is turning the songs into uh, or making them, playing them so much that it's like I've played them on tour for months, right? Right. I want to go into the studio and play these songs like I've been touring them um, because that's when you really start to capture the, the player's style. Once they're really comfortable, you know, they, you do things that you wouldn't do if you were a little bit hesitant or like cautious about what you're doing. You hit completely differently, oh, yeah. um, essentially a different person on the drums, If it, you know. So I want to, and this is something I've learned over the years as well from being in scenarios where I wasn't confident and I, was, I didn't feel as... Um, happy with my performances as I might have if I had heaps of time to work on them and turn them into like, um, turn them into songs that I've played for ages, you know? So, um, because I want, I want to, I want to be focusing by the time in the studio, I want to be focusing on how I'm playing my drums, not what I'm playing. Yeah. Right. I want to be focusing on the dynamics. I want to be focusing on, you know, certain rim shots, ghost notes and, and sort of timing and stuff, not like oh, how, where's that kick landing or how do I play this? You know, um, it's got, I'm I want to make it, I want to be able to have the, the headspace where this is all muscle memory. It's just happening. You know, that feeling when you're drumming and it's just happening, you know, yeah. you, you know, those songs, you know, I'm thinking about it, just coming out of you, right? That is where you want to be when you get into the studio. You don't want to be thinking about it all uh, as you're playing it. I mean, it's, you can still get it done, 
and I've done it myself, but I can tell you that you just don't feel as good about it once you finish as if you did and you go in there and you just smash it and you listen back and you're like, yes, it's capturing all those, all those, you know, artifacts. That's, that's me, you know, and like, cause these days there's too many side rant. Here it comes. Um, there's two, I hear the same drummer on too many bands. What I'm pretty much saying is that program drums have taken over. It's so easy. They sound so good. It's, they sound annoyingly good. Um, and it kind of destroys the, the, the human element of a drummer in a band, you know, and I get why people do them. It's cost efficient. It's the quality is exceptional. Um, it's time efficient, you know, but like, I really, I really want to focus on like capturing me as, and my personality on the kit on records these days, just because yeah, there's so many, there's so many records now that, the same, I feel like the same drummer is playing on all of them. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I do know. And I don't want to mention any album or anything, but there was an album I listened to recently that mm -hmm. going into it, I knew that it was programmed drums, but listening yeah. to it, it was so hard to not think about that, yeah. that like MIDI screen of the notes passing by and then like the, the, the drum kit just on the screen being played by nothing, you know? And yeah. I was just like, it just sounds like a computer. Mm -hmm. I It I sounds good, but it, it doesn't phenomenal. sound like a human, right? So, it yeah. sounds so, so fucking good. And everything's programmed <laughs> so well and so perfect. But I'm like, it just doesn't, it's not a human. And I mm -hmm. think that we're at a point that it's getting so good to, to the point that there is a, uh, a benefit into having a human actually play it now where almost like, yeah yeah like i i think a lot of people are more turning back and being like wait a second no like let's get a really good drummer because we want that because anybody can program drums anybody can have perfect sounding drums now but not everybody can have an amazing human performance so yeah. Like, yeah, it's just funny how it's not valued the same, right? Like, really obviously not, we're seeing it from this perspective, but mm -hmm. like, I mean, and I get it. I don't, I don't want to shame people for doing that at all. Like at all. Um, you know, I've done, you know, side projects where it's just programmed drums and, and whatnot. I tried to make them sound real, but, um, you know, and for young bands, like it's a cost efficient thing. It makes sense to do it. And like, you want your you know, if you're recording, you want it to be like the best possible version of your songs out there. And if you can't afford to, you know, track your drums, then that is going to nail it for you. Right. Mm -hmm. Even if you can afford to track your drums, it's still going to nail it for you. So, you know, so I can see why a lot of people do it and I can understand that it's probably a better option for a lot of people. But yeah, like from my perspective, I want to hear some human drums. You know what I mean? I want to hear some more flavor on the kit. I don't want to hear 127 velocity anymore. <laughs> All right. Maybe yeah. a couple times in the song, but, but let's make sure those snare drums have, yeah, a have some bit dynamic of sway. in them. You know, yeah, no 127 right? blast beats. Nobody can do no that. One's, uh, right? <laughs> it's crazy when you hear that shit and you're like, oh my God, it sounds like on the record, it sounds insane. It's just slamming your eardrums. But then, you know, and <laughs> you get to live and you watch some drummers do this and it's just like, oh, my God, now I'm, like, disappointed watching this. In saying that, I did see Dyer's Murder play the other day with Jesse, who's, um, who's been in the band for a couple of years, but I just have not seen them 
play with him. Yeah. And that guy can blast beat like a motherfucker. Yeah. I was blown away. I was just sitting side of stage just going, dude, he's crazy. Like his velocities didn't drop. He was cruising. It was nothing. Yeah. And it sounded like these records. So yeah. I've it's, seen, it's still possible to play like that. But yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I've seen some like in-studio uh, playthroughs from him. And he's, dude, he's really good. Machine. He's really good. Yeah. I was blown away. I was he's blown insane. away. Yeah, especially because I'd just been working on Blast Suites, you know, <laughs> right? You're last like, oh, year, and I was like done. watching this guy okay. just do it with ease. Exactly. I was like, okay, all right, fuck, you all guys right. should have hired him. Fuck, you know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's a good dude too. So. Yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you got to play some shows recently, eh? Mm. How, how was like that? Two shows last you guys weekend, dude. That festival. was cool. We hit on a festival, believe it or not, <laughs> in Australia. Um, so that must have been yeah, really huge dude. then. It was huge, bro. Like we had, two, we played two shows. One was um, like essentially like a warm up show mm-hmm. the day before, like a club show, three or four hundred people. Um, nice. And that that wasn't that foot was a little bit weird for me personally. Like there was no riser. Oh, there was no riser. Oh, big no. shot over here. No, but <laughs> it, it, it's more so that like I couldn't. I can only without my glasses. I can't see very well at all. Yeah. Um, so I, but in that scenario, when you're so low, I can just see like the front row of the crowd and I can't tell what the rest of the crowd's doing. You know, I can't tell if everyone's enjoying themselves or not. So it makes me just go a little bit more internal. I go, okay, forget about it. Just think about playing. And I almost just overthought what I was playing and I wasn't just sort of in the moment. I was just sort of overthinking everything. It felt really weird. I ended up being really tense with my arms and this mm-hmm. is something that um, I try and focus, you know, that's so massive negative. I don't want to be tense at all. Um, anyway, but by the time we got to the festival, which is like 6,000 people were headlining it and, um, that felt completely different. I felt like a God, like I felt proper God mode, um, kick in. And I was like, yeah, this is what's up. Like we had pyro, we had confetti and CO2 and all that shit. And like, that was, yeah, it just felt really cool. We did have some like tech issues before we went on stage, which was like literal nightmare fuel. Um, a whole like click track, backing tracks rig just decided it didn't want to work. Oh, shit. Um, yeah, like which that, was like, yeah, cool. that's like, just oh, well. as we're walking on stage, like, <laughs> fuck. It was mental. Yeah. But um, we fixed it and we got on and we did it, you know, and, and that, oh, I felt like straight afterwards, I, you know, I had an essence of relief, but it wasn't until. A couple hours later, I was sitting in like the hotel room uh, with my partner because she flew down to Melbourne to see it as well. And we're kind of like, oh, isn't that weird? I've been waiting so long to do this. I've been waiting to, over two years to do this. You know, it just hasn't, hasn't really sunk in. That was huge as well, a huge show to mm. sort of get back into it. But, yeah, it was just nice to see that many people in one area just cutting sick, you know, just having a sick time at a show again. It made me feel so relieved because yeah in australia it's been weird we've had a lot of lockdowns a lot of the music industry suffered dramatically as you know alongside many other industries but music industry is the last to go back to normal right so it's just been it's been a brutal sort of experience um and to see that it was like god thank thank god this is coming back to normal (laughs) yeah i know like we we just uh, went back to full capacity in clubs mm-hmm. uh, within the last month. I think just over a yep. month now. Um, Amazing. Yeah, and I, I got to play a, a gig. Uh, I don't know if you've ever played the the Opera House here in Toronto. 
but yes, um, I think we have maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Actually, maybe not. I don't know. I can't remember venues' names that well. Uh, but possibly, it, it was it was so sick. Like within the first week of it being full capacity, I we we had a show book there, and it was just so nice just to see people again yeah. <laughs> like people out at a show you know because we we had some shows there in the in the fall but it wasn't really like it was weird it was tense like it was it was yeah. a weird vibe right was but, there restrictions at that point um yeah there was everyone was just on edge yeah like it was just it was just strange because the, uh, the numbers here were going back up and you know like everyone was kind of like uh, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know yeah. what's going on yet. Like, mm. you know, there's still like restrictions and, and everything and mask mandates and all that. Um, so now that everything's kind of been lifted and like, we're seeing a little bit of light at the end of this, this tunnel finally. Yeah. Um, and legitimately that it's, uh, like, it's just a different vibe now. And like, I, uh, I've been to like four shows in the last uh, couple weeks now, and nice. like the, just like the the vibe of it is like slowly starting to to come back, and it's nice, yeah. you know. And seeing all the bands, like local bands, playing shows and everything's like fuck yeah! Like all right, let's get this scene back going. Like let's make this yeah. stronger than ever, you know. Yeah. Totally, so. dude. Because that's like that's definitely the area that's going to suffer the most. I reckon it's like the the young bands, the local scene. Oh yeah, for it's sure. Like it's from this kind of break like you can't expect band like it's just i just feel like it's going to create a gap in like in the local scene right mm-hmm. where you know because a lot of people would have been like dude i can't do this band anymore like we're not playing shows i need money i have a family i have a house or whatever i need to pay the bills um which totally is you know totally respectable thing to to reason to have to not do a band and i think that a lot of young bands are going to suffer from losing losing members because of this scenario so yeah, like like I said, like I teach a, a lot of young drummers who are in bands and stuff, and they've been telling me, yeah, we're back at back at gigs and stuff. And even a lot of these guys, just as the the pandemic started, a lot of a lot of these guys that I know that they were just getting their band started. You know, they just played their first couple of shows, and they were just getting some momentum. You know, and then this happens, and they're like, oh shit, you know, you know, they they recorded, they tried to make the the most of of the time off, and they're still stuck at it. You know, which I'm really I'm really proud of them for doing that because they could have easily just been like, nah, this isn't going to work, you know? Um, But yeah, hopefully, hopefully we don't have a gap there because I feel, you know, local bands, they're so important. Like that's the next gen and we need, you know, headlining bands or or whatever, touring bands need these locals or or opening slots, you know, because they're so important for both parties, right? They're, Mm -hmm. They're so important for the touring act. And, you know, it's also really important for them to play these shows and get exposed to more people or different crowd or whatnot, you know. So it's just so important that the food chain stays as is um, and hopefully it, it does. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And uh, I know some bands that actually started because of all of this as well, mm. right? So that's really, go. really nice to see. Some bands that I've worked with uh, on a production side of things uh, yeah. got started uh, over the last two years. Oh, uh, so that was super sick. And other bands have, you know, uh, members kind of realized that they they want something else out of life. You know, yeah. I've been a part yeah. of a couple different projects where guys are like, you know what, I, I got to 
get out of my situation and I'm, I'm moving really far away. So, yeah. you know, I can't do this anymore. And it's like, you know, it's what? Life, like, right? which is, that's what happens, man. That's what happens, happens in life. You know? yeah. And as long as everybody, you know, still lives another day and, you know, finds some kind of happiness, then, you know, that, that is what happy. it is, man. Yeah. I'm going to keep exactly. playing in, uh, in as many bands as I possibly can. <laughs> you know, like I, how many I'm, bands are you playing? Uh, right now, three. Uh, Damn. Yeah. And you so, tour with all of them? Uh, right now, I wouldn't say tour, but we, we okay. gig. We gig. And, you know, gig, so, okay. yeah. And all of them are releasing music and everything like that. So, what are their names and what styles are they? Uh, well, the band I've been in for 15 years now is uh, called Crimson Shadows. We're on Napalm mm-hmm. Records. Uh, and nice. we have. Uh, New album coming out this year. We're like literally finishing up the vocals uh, this month, and then it's off to mix in May, which I'm super pumped about because we've been working on this record for what seems like uh, like a million years. Like honestly, yes. we're like cusping on winter sun esque territory now. You know, so, <laughs> like it's getting pretty sad. But yeah, yeah, we're doing that, and then hopefully uh, hit the hit the road and, and do Europe and North America again. Do the nice. tour cycle, which would be super nice. Um, and then I joined a band. Band, uh, that's about an hour away from me called Lotharo. Uh, yeah. and they're like, um, melodic death metal, I guess, kind of more beautiful. Yeah, I, w- I want to say more mid tempo uh, melodic death metal, but it is like yeah. still like around uh, 200 and stuff, which you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then I play for a kind of like blackened folk atmospheric Ooh. band, uh. Yeah, with the bass player from Crimson Shadows. It's his band. And that kind of came to be because I kind of forced myself... Myself upon them, (laughs) in a way. They were going to to do digital drums for their record uh, because the the guitar player is... uh, is a producer and he's like, ah, fuck it. I can... It'll sound sick. And I was like, no, I'm playing. I'm playing on your album. I don't care. There you (laughs) go. So I forced myself upon them and I had to learn that. And I regretted it as soon as he sent me the songs. (laughs) And I'm like, shit, I can't play. (laughs) I need to practice the shit out of this stuff. And uh, yeah, but we did it. And then they, they have some shows coming up now. So I'm, uh, I'm helping them out with that. So, uh, yeah, man, I'm pumped, but started at the beginning of the year and I'm like, I don't really have, I'm not really in any like full-time bands really like, uh, and then now I'm in like three bands that are busy as hell. And it's like, <laughs> I don't have any time to do anything yeah, anymore, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's good but, though. Yeah. You know, exposing yourself to different sort of styles like that is only going to be beneficial to, oh, yeah. to your playing, you know, yeah. like. Absolutely, man. And it forces me to actually, take it all in. Yeah. It forces me to play too, because I find it's yeah. so easy to get wrapped up in everything else in life and work. And, you know, mm-hmm. like I have so many other things going on that it's so easy to like not even play on um, like sit down at my kit for like a week. Totally. You know? Yeah, and then I sit down and play and I'm like, why do I not do this every day? Yeah. Like this is so much fun. This is what I love to do. And but it's so easy to just like 
walk right past my drums every day and like I know my focus is elsewhere it's you know so at least playing with this many bands it keeps me like no I have to practice I have to keep my chops up because I need to do these gigs need to do these recordings you know like people are relying on me so I got I gotta gotta keep playing good on you dude good on you man because like yeah like you said definitely easy if you don't have like a reason to get on, it's easy to not get on, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, to me, like sometimes I know that same feeling, like obviously you've got your drum kit in your house yep. and, you know, which is pretty lucky. So do I. Um, and because a lot of people, you wouldn't have that, you know, they have yeah. to go to a studio and whatnot. They have to like fully go out of their way to do it. Um, but for you and me, sometimes, it, yeah, you can just walk past it. You can glance at the kit and be like, whatever, and keep going. Yeah. Um, whereas sometimes, you know, I do that, have that same glance. And I'm like, mm, I might just see what it sounds like today. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then you end up and, stuck on there for three hours. Oh, and like, oh, yeah. Shit. And it's just like, like cathartic and it just comes out of you. And mm-hmm. and you sit there afterwards, you feel so much better than when you walked in, you know, and you're like, oh, I kind of needed that, didn't I? God. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So yeah, I think for mentally for me, it's like mm-hmm. super important to sort. It's such a such an expressive thing for me. So like, it's not about who's listening either. It's more about just like me getting it out of myself. And uh, I feel like I'm a very emotional person, and somehow the drums allows me to tell us like portray that in a way. Um, so sometimes I can speak in a you know different language or speak in a way that sort of describes how I'm feeling a lot better when I'm on the kit than in reality sometimes. So I think it's one of those things that I need to do, you know, I need to get on there every now and then and I can't just spend, I mean, luckily I teach as well. So that forces me to, to sort of be on the kit and, and sort of talk about drums. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really mean, mean I'm drumming the whole time, but obviously I've, you know, played a lot of drums lately. I did some stuff at Tama last week as well because they're releasing some new drum kits in Australia. Oh, Nice. So that was cool, sort of oh, splashing yeah. around on one of their new sexy kits. But, um, yeah, usually it's, yeah, when it comes to, like, being creative or just being me on, on a kit, you know, it's it's mm-hmm. definitely something that I need to force myself to do sometimes because, yeah, you can easily not to just let that go and do what else you need to do in the day because it might be more important for whatever reason, you know. And sometimes it's it's because you haven't played in a little bit that you are, are focused on everything else. But I, I find like, even with myself, if I don't play for a certain amount of time, I get yeah. kind of like irritated at, at everything, yeah. you know, like, Oh shit, I haven't had that release. It's almost like sex in that way. Right. Like, totally, you know, like dude. I need, totally. I need it, man. I, I yeah. need to play drums or else I'm going to be a pain in the ass to be around. <laughs> You know, like <laughs> I totally understand, and luckily, yeah, luckily the people around me, you know, my partner is very, very much encouraging of that, mm-hmm. and she also notices as well. Like she, you yeah. know, sometimes I'll, I'll I'll be in a mood for whatever reason, <laughs> and then I walk into the drum room, come out a completely different person. She's like, "What happened to you?" <laughs> yeah. Oh man. But yeah, it's it's important. It's fun. Definitely, it definitely is important, man. Is it? And yeah. they people like equated to like like therapy, like it, it's great for mental health and everything, right? So, so good. So yeah. mental, physical, just to play. I mean, drums mm-hmm. is the best in the terms of like 
you get to like just smash it, you know? That's it. You can smash it with drumsticks and like that can that can be enough. You could just be angry or, you know, sometimes I feel like, like sometimes I let my emotions do the playing for me, right? I might be going through something, I might feel really sad and I'll sit on the drum kit and what happens is that I play something that's expressing how I'm feeling. It's not like super hard hitting but it's more sort of um, – soft and like evolving and sort of, you know, um, expressive. And then other times I might feel really upbeat and, you know, enjoying myself and I might groove on some, you know, on some sick beats and whatnot and sort of play some cool fills. And yeah, it's definitely, it definitely, you can portray, I feel like, you you know, we we as humans can portray our emotions really well with instruments and if we have the opportunity if we you know if we do play instruments then we should be regularly trying to sit there and and express ourselves through i think a lot of people don't actually do that they might just play their instrument they might play their sheet music their band music whatever they have to rehearse but when it comes to just like letting loose and just letting it happen and let it come out of you whatever it might be improv is not you know everyone's cup of tea or um, a lot of people just don't feel comfortable doing it but like I just think it's so important to do, to explore, you know, it's like, it's like you're walking into a forest for the first time. You're like, what's around me. You're not just going to stand there at the, at the first tree and be like, well, okay, that was cool. Let's go home. Okay. Um, you know, you want to have, <laughs> yeah, you like want to walk through me, and like, see what yeah. you can find and, and see where it takes you, you know, like, mm-hmm. because I'll sit there and I'll be playing something and or like I'll have this beat in my head or whatnot. I'll be going for a walk with the dog and I'll, oh, cool, that's a cool beat somehow. I have this thing and I'm like, I get home. All right, let me just flesh that out. And then I might be playing the beat for a while and I'll just like play a fill that just happened naturally. And then I'm like, what was that fill? You know? Oh, what did I do there? Okay. And I sort of look at that and then that takes me down another sort of rabbit hole. And I'm like, where yeah. am I going here? And then eventually <laughs> I'll stumble across something. I might play the sticking for the fill as like between – my snare and hats or whatever. And I'm like, Oh, that's a cool beat. And all of a sudden I'm in a completely different realm to where I started and what inspired me to start, you know, but I wouldn't have gotten there unless I was like, let's just, let's just let it happen. See where we go. See what we stumble across kind of thing. Well, that's Um, it, man. And if you're only playing to X track that you need to rehearse, you're never going to have that exploration, like just sitting down and, I, I constantly have these beats and melodies and everything in my head and just playing along to that, you know, lets you just explore your yourself through your drums. Like, yeah. man, it's, it, it's, it's something totally else did. to be able to do. Right. And yeah. I, I'm it's not a, even it's sure. It's not a language. It really is. It really yeah. is. And I, I don't know. Um, I don't really, I'm not like a master at any instrument, but like I, drums is my primary one. I play guitar and and a little bit of bass and everything like that. But like, I don't, I feel like drums just has this like inherent nature to be explored more, you know, like to just like feel out parts because you're like, and constantly like pushing tempos in, in different directions and you can just like change rhythms like on a dime and and go and like literally you can be playing the same uh thing with your feet and then just change what your hands are doing 
and boom, like the feel is completely different. Like it's like, boom, all it, yeah, on. you might be in 16th yeah, notes initially, change what the hands are doing. Now you're in triplets now and it feels triplets, completely you're like, different. And you're like, what? <laughs> yeah, it's so cool. Like, <laughs> I don't know, man. Like all, all that stuff and definitely exploring in my younger years with that type of stuff of just like literally sitting down. Before I, I used in-ears, before I like used tracks or anything, I would just sit down and the only thing I had to play to was whatever was in my head, yeah, you know? And that was it. Like, I didn't... I, every now and again, I guess I had, like, my Discman or, or something, right? That <laughs> yeah, I had, yeah. I'd plug in and stuff, but I had, like, the big headphones. You couldn't really... I couldn't hear what was going on. So I mainly yeah. just sat down and played whatever was in my head. And, mm. you know, I think, like, that type of exploration of the kit, like, you know, like, I'll, I'll never lose that. I love just sitting down and just seeing what happens. You know? Yeah, dude. I'm it's all so about much fun. it. I'm all about yeah. just letting it see where it goes, you know, sitting down, start one place, and I guarantee I'll end <laughs> in a completely different place. Like, yeah. And then it might lead you like, oh, shit, that was really cool. All right, let's let's work on this now. Yeah. You know, and then find something and be like, oh, I, I, oh, this might work actually in this song, you know? Yeah, and then, totally. Yeah, dude. you can Honestly, find I think that's a really cool, I saw there's um, a jazz drummer I follow on Instagram. He lives in New York and I can't remember his name. He plays some abstract shit, but like he's a teacher and he did a video on Instagram the other day um, pretty much saying, now like I've, yeah, he pretty much, <laughs> he pretty much saying like, when you like, you know, to sort of inspire your own creativity or, um, yeah, just to, to inspire your own creativity, it's like just jam, record yourself jamming. And when you come across, you know, and listen back to what you've done and when you come across something that you find interesting that you naturally did, write it out and then relearn it again. Relearn something that you did naturally, like learn something that you're doing completely naturally. Um, and figure out what it is, what you're actually doing, right? Um, and see where you go from there. So you kind of use yourself as inspiration to learn um, and inspiration to continue to sort of create. And I find this really interesting because, like, I thought about it. I'm like, I've kind of done that myself, you know, like in the exact, exact scenario you were just describing mm-hmm. where, you know, you start someplace, you end up stumbling across some fill or some linear idea or some beat or whatever. Um, and you're like, cool, like, cool, all right, I'm just going to write that out, whatever that was. What was the sticking? I usually just write the basic sticking like, and I write it just between the snare and kick. I don't want to give too much guidance away because then once I see the sticking, I can go, okay, cool. Then I can just throw it over the kit once I get sort of comfortable with it, just put it in different places, hear how it sounds when I put my right hand here and, and my left hand here and play it. And then, yeah. you know, just keep exploring that way, very simple sort of steps. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Yeah, and then sometimes I just stumble across something really cool. I'm like, okay, let's explore every avenue of this. And then I'll continually write out all the variations. And I'm like, wow, this is actually really interesting. And then it's something that I can teach as well, right? Because I've stumbled across some some sort of idea that, and then I've sort of explored that idea and see where I can, how I can use it or how I can, how it can be placed, whether it be beat or fill or whatnot. And then, yeah, I can then use that to like inspire other people, you know? Um, and, it, and I just reinforced that idea because, like, something that happened that you do naturally, you know, if you then go back on that and, like, you didn't think about it happening, right? It's not like you were going, you were playing this fill that you've worked on a billion times 
in, you know, let's say the, the classic like metalcore fill, which is like yeah. 16th note triplets, four hands, two kicks, here in every bloody metal band. Yeah. Um, you know, that's not, I wouldn't consider that as like something that you've, you know, or you created on the spot, but like maybe, maybe you, you, you just, you use that idea and you started splitting the hands up and moving the hands around the kit differently. And you're like, oh, wow. You know, like I can create a way cooler fill this way. And then you sort of write that out and then you can see once, for me personally, once I can see it on like a page, I can see other variations that could happen. Or I can go, I wonder if I displace this whole thing. And then I'll just write out like the displaced version. I'm like, fuck, this is actually way cooler than the original. And then, you know, let's just keep displacing, see where we go. And you end up, you know, a completely different place. And if you have those avenues and you know how to explore something, then yeah, it's like the rabbit hole is virtually endless. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I completely lost what I was going to say. Um, so, <laughs> My tangents will do that to people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but okay, so so you say like um, that simple metalcore fill or anything like that, but to somebody, a fill like that might have never, they may have never played anything like that. True. So with True. them kind of experimenting and stuff, they might stumble across something that may have been done um, to death by everyone else, but to it's them, it. that is new. And that mm. in itself can be inspiring even just totally. to keep playing, I agree. right? I agree. And, you know, yeah. just to get a little bit of that dopamine rush of excitement going, <laughs> you know? Because that's at the end of the day, we all crave that dopamine rush of excitement, you know, that's whether really we're right. playing or, or whatever it may be, right? So, yeah, man. <laughs> I agree. I agree. You know, especially because, you know, and especially if you're using that fill as an example, like mm-hmm. very easy crowd-pleasing fill, right? Sounds Absolutely. crazy. Kind of yeah. easy. Um, so, you know, people can learn it really, really easily and they're all of a sudden they're playing these wild fills and they, you know, to them, it's like crazy, look at this crazy feel. And that's, that feeling is like what will keep you going, right? When you're like, oh, I'm cutting it up. Look, look at me kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I agree. It's definitely important to go over that. And if you stumble across whatever it may be, if it's new to you, that's all that matters, right? That's all that matters, man. All right. Yeah. Well, all right. There's one last thing I want to talk about. All right. Cause we've been yeah. talking for a while now. Um, yeah. you've mentioned multiple times in this conversation, Limp Biscuit and how you, how <laughs> much you love Limp Biscuit. And they were definitely one of those, like one of the few of the quote unquote, like metal core or like new metal bands mm-hmm. of the, that era, the early two thousands that I did enjoy. Like I had significant other and chocolate starfish. Yeah, like you I did. had those records. And I am curious as to what your favorite song is. Okay. Um, easy. Show me what you got. Oh, Significant Other is my favorite song. That's it, um, eh? Because you talk about Chocolate Starfish it. so often. I, I do talk about off. Chocolate Starfish yeah. because that was that was the record that got me into them. That's when I first heard them. Um, so like My Way, My Generation, Boiler. Um, Roland? Um, Roland, Come obviously. On. That was the first song I heard. Sorry, Buddy. I should have named that That first. song is Who such a Who am banger? I? Like, yes. I, I actually, um, I was listening to then that significant other and Chaga Starfish, like, not long ago, a couple of weeks ago. And, yeah. like, Roland came on, and 
I immediately just got so fucking stoked. Like so pumped. Like, (laughs) yes. Between that and break stuff, like Yeah. I'm yeah, done, you were man. in the line at Timmy Hortons, and all of a sudden you just yeah, you start throwing I'm elbows. Bows, yeah, <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> dude. Fuck, man, I get so pumped. Uh, even yeah, after dude. all all these years, man. And do you know what's cool? Because um, I was actually like listening to uh, John Otto and, and the drum production on that, and I found it very cool how raw the drums sounded for yeah. like that type of band. And like that late '90s, early 2000s sound was so raw. Because if a band like that came out now, they would be so overproduced. Like the drum tones 100%. would be. Well, dude, have you heard the new Limp Bizkit record? I Listen think I got through. It, it kind of hurts my soul. Does it? I see. I got through like half a song, and I was like, I, I don't think I can do this. You know, mm. like the classics. I'll, I'll stick to that. I'll, I'll listen yeah, to it. But like, dude, I don't think I can. I was, I was. Hopeful, I'm on the but... same side as you. I actually hate the fact that I'm on that. Like, I don't. I want to. I love. You know, I love accepting bands for who they are mm-hmm. and where they've gotten to. But the nostalgia for me is just too strong for, for me to be yeah. like, this is, to me, it just doesn't feel like Limp Bizkit. And that's literally because the drums are overproduced. Yeah. And yeah. it doesn't feel like John Otto would record them. Do I don't you, reckon he did. I reckon it's programmed. It's all programmed. Yeah. 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 Probably. But and the, that just the- kind of just soul destroying for me because like those original records, you know, Chocolate Starfish, significant other, captured John Otto. There's yeah. no, they didn't use clicks either, right? Like he just held that. Yeah. They played on him. Oh, yeah. And those snare tones are iconic dude. now. The like, ring the in pang. that snare. Yeah, it was dude. like, dude, I, was, I forget which song it was of Chocolate Starfish I was listening to, but it just has this like drum intro and it's just like fucking ringing for days. I was like, no producer so or well. mix engineer would ever let this fly these ever. days. Like, and ne- never. Ever. But it's so good. It's yeah. so good. I love this so it's much because, so like, that's mad, a fucking dude. snare drum, man. That's yeah, what a snare it is. Drum it's just, and like. he's a Tighten dude playing that, and he's got groove and feel, oh, and you can so sick. feel. You can hear that, man. Right? Yeah. Like, that's real mm-hmm. shit right there. Um, and I miss that. I miss that a lot. Yeah. But yeah. Oh, but yeah, once I once I listened, you know, I listened to the shit out of um, Chocolate Starfish, and, and I love the whole record. And then I went back and listened to Significant Other, and I heard Show Me What You Got, and for some reason, that is now my jam. Yeah, for, that's you know, it. That song is sick. Yeah, the drums are sick, vocals are hype, guitar stuff hearts are hype. I don't know, it's cool. <laughs> it's like, man, I'll have to go back and give that another listen stuff specifically. Out, yeah. yeah. Well, dude, and also. Um, Shit, what was the song that they did for Mission Impossible? Take a look around. Take a look around, yeah. So I was listening to that and I was like, holy shit, this is like 2000. Mission Impossible soundtrack. You have fucking Limp Biscuit and Metallica did I Disappear. And I was like, huge. What a fucking, what world did we live in? And then nowadays, yeah. like, you wouldn't see anything close to that on a. Yeah, major now Matrix released the fourth edition and don't even hit us up for a song. That's horseshit, man. What the fuck that is that about? Fucking right? absolute hor- Dude, I actually, one last thing about uh, Obsidian, which comes out on April 22nd. Boom. All right. Yeah. Yeah, that it's gonna be sick. I soon, highly, really, soon. it's it's real soon. Couple week, couple weeks away. It might be out by yeah. the time you even listen to this. Who knows? So go check <laughs> it out. It's sick. Immediately though, 
I I got this feel of uh, I don't know if you know the movie Hackers for the 1995 movie Hackers with Angelina right. Jolie, Matthew Lillard. Immediately, yeah. I got that feel. Go watch this movie because it is sick. okay. It's all. It, um, what is the, uh, the? There's a tagline: A young boy is arrested by the U.S. Secret Service for writing a computer virus and is banned from using a computer until his 18th birthday. All right, Ooh. that's the premise of the fucking cool. movie. But dude, immediately, <laughs> like just the feel, the vibe, all the the synth tones, everything. I was like. Man, if this movie was made today, like this would be the fucking soundtrack for it. 100%. Yo. It's like super heavy and almost has like a, a like a fucking if Prodigy was was metalcore. You know what I mean? Yes. Like that's the I that's kind of the feel that I got from right. like yeah, a lot of the tunes on this record though. Like had a, had a kind Dude, of like I'm a Prodigy Prodigy feel to it is super sick. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad to hear that because, like, yeah, there's, there are definitely throwbacks to, like, nostalgic, you know, eras that mm. we, we grew up with. Oh, yeah. And hopefully definitely. listeners also sort of hear that. I think the same thing was sort of in Alien as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Definitely. It seems like a, a, a nice progression from that record to this record, you know? Yeah. 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 I'm glad, yeah, you, I'm glad you, you, you think that way. And, like, I think there's just more, like, Matrix Zion raves going on in in, yeah. in Obsidian yeah. than there was, or like you know the Blade the Blade rave scene. Those kind of the scenes are like for some reason just capture this yeah. record for me. Yeah, I get, it. and that's like honestly to me like that's the, that's the same like with with Hackers. I think like, okay, cool, or at least the way I remember seeing Hackers. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I used I'll to love that movie that. as like a a young child because I think that you see Angelina Jolie topless in it, if I remember Ooh. correctly. So, okay. yeah, there you go. I would I highly <laughs> suggest watching to all you listeners out there too. <laughs> go check it out if you haven't. Man. It's, it's great. It's, it's probably a boob double, but whatever. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I, honestly, ninety five though. At that point in her career, probably not. Probably not. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know she if she was, needs one. She Let's was, be real. She was uh, she was young back then, so prime time. Yeah. Okay. I think that, incentive for. Um, I think I think that's a great place to end this. <laughs> we started off with like serious serious talks about the Earth and global warming, and we end with like prime time Angelina Jolie's <laughs> boobs. Angelina Jolie. <laughs> well nick thanks for hanging out and talking to me man it's been a blast dude my pleasure Corey. thanks for having me on and um yeah thanks for thanks for all the lovely kind words you said about the new record and um yeah i'm keen to get it out there and See what, see what everyone else reckons. Yeah, let it. Let us know what you think. You know, like yeah, yeah. Spread the word. Obsidian out April twenty second, and yeah, we didn't even we didn't get into it. But this is a self release record, dude. You guys it are is. fucking independent as shit. Congrats, yeah. man. That's Stoked. that's fucking. Thank huge. you, thank that's you. Huge, yeah, we man. feel very very happy that we're in control of everything now. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I know I know how it can be under the hand of the. The record label industry. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. We'll get That's into right. that. Though. We'll um, go there. We'll get there. But no, it's just yeah, nice. we are stoked. Yeah, we are stoked. Yeah, yeah, man. 
That's super sick. So everybody yeah. go go. I, I take it there's pre-orders. We'll put the link in. Pre-orders, the, yeah. We'll put all the links necessary in the show notes below. So go click on those pre-order. Uh, you guys got a Patreon. You got Patreon too. Uh, yeah. So make sure you go check that out. You guys do yeah, super super sick stuff on on the Patreon. What yeah, do you, we what do you, weekly streams and we release all sorts of. Um, Random content like you know demo songs, oh. uh, stems of records. Um, we release camper packs. Uh, we also have like a Discord server chat as well, where we all we all sort of chat in there and um, got a cool little community. So Sick. yeah, I'm really Sick. grateful for the Patreon. That's been a cool sort of thing for us to sort of um, get into while we haven't been playing shows. So yeah. That's super awesome, man. And like building, like we talked about in this, like, like a community is like a big, you know, big part of music and keeping all of this alive, man. Keep it going, dude. Yeah. Yeah. You need that. You need that. Cause like, even from my perspective, right? Like, you know, throughout the pandemic, I had a mad existential crisis where I was like, who am I? And honestly, it wasn't until we started doing the Patreon and did I realize, holy shit, like people still care. People still want, want this, you know, mm-hmm. and that was really important for me. So, um, yeah, join the Patreon for me, guys. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. <laughs> it was just nice. It was yeah. nice to see that, yeah, the community aspect and that the world still, the music world's still there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, dude, mm. I know, I know all about the, the the cri- the mental crisis that goes on during all this stuff you know like flip my whole intense. whole world uh, upside down trying to figure out what the hell is what the hell I'm doing yeah. here so you know yeah dude you know, I I relate to that. Uh, I think I, I think everybody can at this point so yeah, and hopefully everyone comes out of all of this uh, knowing themselves a little better. Uh, you know, that's, I think that's all that you can hope for, for better or for worse, definitely. really, you know? Yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. Yeah, dude. No, we'll be better off now. Yeah. And we'll, we won't take advantage of the things that we used to, you know, we'll have a different perspective on. Hopefully everyone has a dis- different perspective on music and the music industry and like wants to really kick, kick, kickstart it back up and yeah, that's yeah. right. All right, see, we brought it around. Right. We're back to like yeah. something. There we something go. More there we serious go. and, and acceptable good. places right. finished. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Excellent. <laughs> All right. Thank you again. And Dude, my uh, pleasure. Yeah. It, this has been uh, We're Talking Drums Podcast. Hell yeah. We're talking drums.